Hey, creative cutie. How are you today? I'm feeling energized for the first time in a while. So today I want to talk with you one-on-one. I feel like it's been a while since we've just chatted. And I've been thinking a lot about relationships lately. Relationship to self, relationship to others, to your dreams and creativity and how they all relate and intersect. So today you're going to hear my latest revelations on relationships and how I'm working through them to make them healthier and how you can too. Welcome to Unleash Your Inner Creative with Lauren LaGrasso. I'm Lauren LaGrasso. I'm an award-winning podcast host and producer, singer-songwriter, and multi-passionate creative. And this show is meant to give you tools to claim your right to creativity, take fear out of the driver's seat, and love, trust, and know yourself enough to pursue whatever it is that's on your heart. Before I get too deep into it, I'm podcasting from my bedroom, so if you hear a little echo, that's why there's still not a lot. I mean, I've got some carpet in here now, but it's still primarily a wooden room with tall ceilings, which is, if you don't know, a nightmare for audio. For any of my audio girlies or boys or non-binary friends out there, I want you to know that's what's happening. I really need to get my studio made. So here's the deal. This condo I have had a little dining room and I converted the dining room into a office. And by converted, I mean, I just didn't put a dining room table in in it and I put a desk in it instead. But it was an open dining room and it didn't have a door on it. And it's also a weird opening. It's not like I could just get a sliding door, just get a door installed. It's a weird opening, different on each side. So I'm going to have to get like a custom door made. So long story short, this whole time, this past year, I've been podcasting from my closet because there's no place in this condo that has carpet and that isn't super echoey. And so while the sound quality is great in my closet, it's just not comfortable. And I finally had to say, like, I would rather be comfortable and able to think and not be elbowing my own clothes and like looking up and seeing all my clothes skewed to the side so that I can be podcasting here. I'll probably go back to my closet next week. Long story short, I need to figure out the door situation, but it's been a little bit difficult to be comfortable. That's like a huge thing to talk about too is you have to feel good in the space you're creating in. And sometimes I do feel good in my closet, but sometimes I don't feel like being in my closet. Sometimes you just, you want to be in a bigger space. You want to be in a space where you feel comfortable. So anyway, I'm choosing comfort over quality today. And I think that's fine. I don't think anyone notices. It's just, I'm an audio person. So when I hear audio that isn't pristine, I'm like, oh, (laughs) but anyway, that's my bad. If you're watching video, this is my dresser. Welcome to me. So back to the topic at hand, we're talking about relationships. The first relationship I want to go over is relationship to self. And as I wrote down this topic, the first thing that I thought of was the thing that came up when I interviewed Melody Beattie, author of Codependent No More. And she said, we have to love ourselves. We have to love ourselves. Obviously, that's one of the tenets of the show, right? But I said to her, but what really is self-love? Because I think that it's easy to conflate self-love with self-worth or self-love with self-esteem or self-love with even like liking yourself or thinking you're a cool person. But self-love actually isn't those things. So the first thing I want to talk about, because even after we talked, I don't even remember what she said. I need to re-listen to that episode. But I've been thinking a lot about like, do I actually love myself? I think I like myself. I think I have faith in myself, but I don't know that I consistently love myself. This is a very, I'm going to say rudimentary. It's a very basic article 
on self-love, but I'm just going to read through what some of these self-love practices are according to psychcentral.com, their blog. (laughs) So self-love, according to them, what it can look like in action is saying positive things to yourself, forgiving yourself when you mess up, meeting your own needs, being assertive, not letting others take advantage of or abuse you, prioritizing your health and well-being, spending time around people who support you and build you up and avoiding people who don't, asking for help, letting go of grudges or anger that holds you back, recognizing your own strengths, valuing your feelings, making healthy choices most of the time, living in accordance with your values, pursuing your interests and goals, challenging yourself, holding yourself accountable, giving yourself healthy treats. That one's kind of funny. (laughs) I just pictured like carrot sticks being equivalent to self-love. I suppose it could be. Accepting your imperfections, setting realistic expectations, noticing your progress and effort. So I think I do some of these things some of the time, but I do find it hard to not be hard on myself, as I think a lot of people do. And I put a lot of charges on myself if I don't do things perfectly in my own estimation. So for me, what the main takeaway I got from this, the way that I can work on self-love, if something goes wrong, not saying I'm bad, but saying this thing was bad or something went wrong. Okay, yeah, I wish I would have done that differently, but like, how can I still love myself through that and find a way to do better for the next time? Not just beating myself up, but rather acknowledging what happened and then making a different plan. Even earlier today, I was feeling like I wasn't doing enough. I have so much to do. I shouldn't, I don't deserve to go on a walk. I need to sit here and just work and work and work. I'm not getting enough done. So that's my recurring shame talk. That's probably the one that comes up the most. And I just thought to myself, well, okay, first of all, you could probably still go on a walk and do some work. So you could make calls. You could listen to podcasts that you need to check out for work. You could think of topics to talk about on this podcast that I was doing. And then you might be better for it when you come back because you'll have had the vitamin D, you'll have gotten exercise and moved your body and released any like pain you're holding in your body, emotional or physical. So just do it and see what happens. And I came back and I felt a million times better, but I was going to like restrict myself from doing this thing that authentically would have helped my work ethic and helped me get more stuff done because I didn't think I deserved it. I want to start being a little bit more tender and even a little bit more realistic around things like that. I think one thing of self-love is knowing your recurring shame talk and knowing the antidote to it. So when I'm getting into that recurring shame talk, knowing the antidote is gentleness and a reality check for myself. So gentleness is, okay, yeah, you have a lot of work, but maybe this walk could actually help you and you kind of need to get outside and I think it's going to do you good and you do deserve to walk and enjoy the sunshine and be a human. And, you know, I think know your recurring shame talk and know the antidote to it. That's a good way to drop into self-love. But I just thought that'd be interesting because obviously it's something I talk about every episode. It's one of the goals of this show, but it's so hard to define what self-love is and what differentiates it from those other things. The next thing that's on my list as far as relationship to self goes is don't put restrictions on yourself that aren't there. So often I find myself telling myself I can't do something, but no one's told me I couldn't do it. And in fact, it probably would be better for me, but I think I don't deserve it. So I don't do it. So an example would be that walk. I was telling myself, well, you're not allowed to go out, but I work from home. 
I didn't take a lunch break today. Nobody's micromanaging me. I'm very blessed to work in an environment where I have a lot of latitude to plan my days the way I want to as long as I get my work done. And I don't know what it is, but there's this just like part of me that's really a drill sergeant, but the drill sergeant like doesn't have an allegiance to anything besides just like hard work and misery. Like, but hard work in a way that's not healthy, hard work in a way that's just hard work for the sake of hard work. And so if you have this piece of yourself that is putting a restriction on you, like for instance, let's say you're telling yourself you can't take a walk or you can't take a 15 minute break to do something creative, but there's no reason like you're not working at a restaurant where you like, if you're working at a restaurant, you can't just like bust out your guitar. I would say maybe you could go in the back and like sing into your phone or like write something down in a voice note if you're a writer or like maybe sketch something out and draw. But when you're blessed enough to work from home, Don't put restrictions on yourself that aren't there. Like if you want to take a creative break, take a creative break. By the way, you're going to be better at your job when you come back. They've proven this. There have been studies that have been done when people do something creative and then they come back to something analytical, they're refreshed and they have the capacity to work harder and longer and to see things from different angles. So anyway, that's just one example. But there's so many restrictions we put on ourselves Who said you couldn't do it? No one said that. This is such a benign example. I mean, a bigger example would be like, oh, I'm too old to do that. I can't go after that thing. It's, oh, it's, I haven't been in that industry, so I can't try it. It's like these restrictions don't actually exist. So I want you to start looking at your life in big ways and small and ask, what restrictions am I putting on myself that no one else has told me that I need to adhere to except for me? And why is that there and how can I get past it? Is it true? Is it true? And if it's not true and the opposite is true, like, you know, taking a walk will actually help me, then why don't I go ahead and do that instead of punishing myself for no reason other than I think punishment is more noble? Another one I've been thinking about lately in regard to relationship to self is the word I am. For those that don't know, the word I am is actually invoking God's name. In the Bible, it says, I am that I am. I first learned this from Dr. Wayne Dyer, but plenty of spiritual teachers have spoken about it. And that's why you want to be really careful when you use I am, when you're saying I am blank, I am this, I am that, I am whatever, because you're literally invoking the name of God and then saying something after. And also, it's just not a great thing. The reason I'm thinking of this is because my mom was here, and every morning she was here, she woke up and she goes, I'm so tired. I am so tired. And what kind of a message? Okay, like I am means I am something. So you are tired, like your existence is tired. I think anytime you are in a moment, especially if it's something negative, instead of saying I am the negative thing, try saying I am feeling blank. Because also the truth is most of the time, the feelings, even exhaustion, it's not permanent. I'm feeling exhausted. That's totally fine. To say I am, my existence is exhausted, sends a very different message to your psyche and like to the universe and whatever. I just think We need to be more careful with what we say I am in front of. Now, on the other hand, I think saying I am before something positive, even if it's not yet true, can help manifest it. This is something that Dr. Wayne Dyer talks about as well. He talks about how if you say I am powerful, I am abundant, I am creative, I am inspiring, I am beautiful, that you're also invoking the name of God to bring all of these things to you and be in line with them in the universe. 
and also saying that like that is an inherent part of your existence. So my call to you right now is if you're feeling something negative, try saying I am feeling and whatever that negative thing is. I don't want you to not experience it. This isn't a toxic positivity moment. I just don't want you to say your existence is that thing because it's not true. It's a moment. It's not a lifetime. And if you're trying to manifest something big and beautiful and spiritual, try saying I am and whatever the thing is that you're trying to manifest. So I had my mom start saying, I am feeling tired. And then when she started doing that, instead of saying, I'm so tired, oh my gosh, I'm so tired every morning, she had more energy. It was wild. She didn't change anything, just what she was saying in the morning. Which brings me to my next point about our relationship to self. And that is that most of the negative stories that you tell yourself aren't true. And even the ones that are true or are based in some truth are still changeable. For instance, it's easy for me to tell myself a lot of stories about myself as a singer, right? I, for those of you that don't know, have been pursuing music in some capacity for the last decade. And the intensity at which I've pursued it has waxed and waned. It's easy for me right now because I'm in a stage where I haven't put out a new song in like a year and a half. I'm not playing as many live shows to be like, oh, I'm not a singer. Oh, I haven't done anything in music. Oh, you know, get into that down in the dumps, shame talk, also like just negative self-talk. But the fact is it's not true. And also the parts that are true, like, of course, I'm a singer. Like this is a big part of my MO. But if you sing, you're a singer. If you paint, you're a painter. Like the level to which you're doing that professionally has no bearing on whether or not you get to actually claim that. I don't believe in the idea of aspiring. If you do the thing, you are the thing. But I have the opportunity to change that. And so I guess the bigger thing here is, yes, most of the negative stories you tell yourself aren't true. And the ones that are somewhat based in truth are still changeable. But instead of just continuously telling yourself these stories, again, start asking what could be the antidote to that story? Like what could change the narrative? Okay, what parts of this are true? Like, yeah, I haven't found a way to gain a huge following when it comes to my live shows I play in Los Angeles. Could I play a live show somewhere else and gain a following for that because people are more excited about live music in a place where live music isn't everywhere? Could I play a place in Los Angeles that has a built-in audience and then have people there who could discover me for the first time and then maybe come to a show where it's a more singer-songwriter central place? So the one thing you should understand that I'm trying to explain right now is that there's some places where it's like you're there to see the performance and there's some places where the performance is there to enhance your experience. So an example of this would be like if you went to... Hotel Cafe, which is a very famous venue in Los Angeles, you go there just to watch the performers. If you go to a restaurant and there's someone singing, it's there to enhance your night that already would have happened anyway. And it's just an enhancement. It's not why you're there. So maybe me playing in a place where it's like just an enhancement, it's not while you're there is actually better for now because I can get in front of a lot of different people. And then when I do my ones that are just about my performance, I'm going to have a bigger audience to draw from because more people have already seen me live. So instead of just continuously telling yourself the same story and over, over and over and over again, ask, is it true? First of all, if some of it's true, what parts are true? And then what can I do to change those parts that are true? Is there anything I can do to change it? Do I want to change it? 
is part of why I'm telling myself this negative story is because I'm trying to do something different entirely. You know, you have to get really honest with yourself. But I think so many of us just sink into these stories and we spin on them and we spin on them and we spin on them instead of asking, is it true? What parts are true? If those parts are true and I don't like them, what can I do to change it? Or if those parts are true and I just want to do something entirely different, what moves would I have to make to figure out what I could do that would make me happier? So that's particularly in regard to your creativity. It could be anything. It could be any part of you. It could be, oh my gosh, I don't have any friends. I don't have any friends. I don't have any friends. Well, typically I think that's not true. But then asking, okay, well, if I don't have the kind of friends I want, where can I go out into the world and find more friends? Do I have any people that I've met that could be a cool friend? Could I reach out to them? Could I reach back out to friends that I've lost touch with and see what they're up to? So you see what I mean? It's like we can have one Saturday night where we don't have plans and then spin and think that we have no friends, but really we're just not looking at the full picture. Like there's so much we can do about the stories we tell ourselves to change them if they are true and also to like give ourselves a reality check because they're rarely hundred percent true. Speaking of stories, anyone who's putting work out there has probably been asking themselves, is anyone saying something new? Do I have to say something new? If I repeat something that someone else has said, how do I say it in a way that's new enough to me? And I think this is coming up for a lot of different reasons. We're in an era where no one has ever had more access to information. There's just so much information because of the internet, because it's a great equalizer. We're so blessed to have such a global access to so many different sources of information. And there's also so many people who are disseminating information <laughs> or fake information, but just saying things. There's so many people out in the world using their voices, which is really beautiful, but it can also feel really overwhelming as somebody who's trying to use your voice to be like, oh God, what could I possibly say that someone hasn't already said? But I don't think you have to say something new or original. Per Julia Cameron's advice, who came on my podcast earlier this year, you have to say what's true for you now. Maybe it's not original, maybe, but the way you're saying it is original. And also maybe that the person you're reaching, even if it's just one person needed to hear it that day and needed to hear it the way you delivered it. So no, I don't think it has to be brand new information. I just think it has to be true for you. It has to be authentic and it has to be done in a way that feels honest and that you feel good when you put it out. It has to reach the right people. I mean, if you're feeling like you're getting that hit of inspiration, share it. It doesn't have to be new is my big thing. It just has to be true. Speaking of new, I've been thinking a lot about traditions because as I am 100% Italian ethnically, and as I go about and try to reclaim parts of my own ethnicity, I've been thinking about our family traditions, traditions that we lost along the years. And then today when I was on my walk, I started thinking about our own traditions, the traditions inside of us. And I'm talking about you as an individual. What are some traditions you have with yourself that you'd like to stop? That's an outdated tradition, an outdated way of thinking, an outdated reaction that would greatly enhance your life if you quit today. I probably have about a million of them, TBH. <laughs> But I think one of my biggest ones, honestly, and that I've been talking about on the podcast for years, so you can go back and track me on this one, but is disorganization. And I do have a hard time with it because I think, again, there's a big part of me that's a rebel and that wants to 
rebel against the idea that everything has to be neat and tidy all the time for it to be okay. But there's also a part of me that's like, my life would be so much easier if I was a little bit organized. So what I want to change this year is to know and to give myself the grace that I'm not a person who has every single thing spick and span, and I'm never going to be that person, and that's okay. But I could create systems for myself that make it easier for me. Like I have some systems, but they're super loose. So like, I think I'm going to work with my friend Ashley to go through my closet and create different containers for different things, different sections of my closet for different things, organize my drawers, that kind of thing. I can do that. If I have controlled chaos, I've always felt very good, but I want to get beyond that. Like that's an old tradition, both within myself and within my family. I think my whole family, I don't want to call out everyone, but Many people within my family, specifically my mom's side, have throughout the years historically struggled with this part of their own humanity. And that's a tradition both in my family and in myself that I would like to change the discourse on. I am not disorganized, to go back to my earlier point. I am somebody who doesn't like things to be rigid. I don't like rigidity. I like fluidity. But within the fluidity, I think I can create a little bit more structure. That's my reframe on that. That's one example, you know, that there's a million things. There could be a tradition you have with yourself where you beat yourself up really hard when a conversation doesn't go well. I had, I'm not kidding you, the most awkward, (laughs) this is kind of a tangent, but the most awkward conversation of my life. It wasn't even a conversation. It was horrific. I can't even tell you how bad it was. Like I literally don't think I've ever had a social interaction go so terribly wrong. It's the stuff people have anxiety over. I've never had social anxiety. When I go into social situations, I'm a weird person where I really feel like I'm going to be fine and I will find a way to get along and connect with people. But in this situation, oh my gosh, I saw someone I hadn't seen in a long time. We became friends over the pandemic. I've only met her in person once. And we had a very close relationship over the pandemic. We Zoomed a lot. We became close through that. First of all, when I saw her that night, I went to hug her and my nose, she went to kiss my cheek and my nose hit her cheek. I could not have been more awkward. Also, she didn't remember meeting me the first time, which I was just like, I'm just going to let that go because I can't even deal with that after that nose, like I nose dived her cheek. And my boyfriend, Timmy was there and he witnessed the whole thing. The interaction between us was just so strange and cringy. It made me doubt my entire humanity. I don't really know why I brought that up, but definitely wouldn't wish that situation on my worst enemy. Oh, I know I brought it up because after that, I was just berating myself, asking, why did it go that way? What's wrong with you? Blah, blah, blah. But then my boyfriend gave me a reality check and he was like, well, it was awkward with her before you even started talking. I think her head was in another place. It really had nothing to do with me, but it's so easy to take that stuff on. So I think a tradition I want to break within myself that isn't something so tangible like organizing is the tendency I have to take a negative situation that happened and make it have some meaning about the kind of person I am or basically like taking things like that and making them about myself, honestly. So taking something like that that happened and instead of just being like, wow, that was a really awkward interaction, being like, oh my God, do I suck? Am I bad at talking to people? Do I not have social skills? Instead of spinning on that, taking a situation that happens And just taking it for what it is and setting it aside instead of giving it meaning about who you are. 
you know, and I do think we should learn about things. If someone's consistently giving you the same feedback, that's a very different thing. If someone comes to you and says, you really hurt my feelings when you said this, you have to take that seriously. But when an awkward social interaction happens or someone sends you an email and they come off a little cold, like, why do you have to let it be about you? Instead of it being about you, why don't you just say, oh, that was like weird. Maybe they were just busy. That's a tradition I want to break within myself is the tendency I have to take something that feels bad and give it some sort of meaning about who I am as a person. Maybe it just felt bad. That's okay. Speaking of it, now we're shifting into relationship to others. I just think in general, we spend way too much time worrying about what people might think of us when we could just ask them. (laughs) You know, if you're afraid someone has an issue with you, you can literally ask them. And I spend so much time thinking about, oh my gosh, what do they mean by that? What do they think about that? And part of that is anxiety. But part of that is also going back to self-love, have the courage to speak your mind, to stand up for yourself, to have the confidence to know you are worthy of being treated well, all these different things. But it's just not healthy to sit there and spin thinking somebody thinks something bad. It takes, honestly, like this past week, I spent a lot of time thinking somebody was mad at me or didn't like me. And it took so much of my brain space away from writing music, from being creative. Although I did get a little bit of a song around it. So that was good. But it took so much away from being present with my boyfriend, being present with my friends, talking to my family. Like I was just thinking about this and thinking about this and thinking about this. And finally, I just talked to the person and then it was over and it was just a total misunderstanding. But I wasted so much time thinking about it. And I guess my encouragement to you is, If you find yourself spending a lot of time thinking about what other people might think of you, you can either start to learn tools to cope with it. Like I said, like I'm trying to do is like delve into myself and try to take each situation with a grain of salt. Or you can just talk to the person as quickly as you can while still taking the time to figure out what you want to say and understand it and not assume. Just don't assume how anyone feels about you because you just don't know. And the quicker you can do that, first of all, the quicker it builds your self-esteem. When you when you have a hard conversation like that, when you bring something up that was very difficult for you, it makes you feel, wow, like I can really stand up for myself. I really know how to share my feelings and to have these kind of hard conversations that aren't easy to go into. And the second thing is it gives you so much more space to be creative, to do your work, to enjoy the day to be present with your loved ones. So if you're spending a lot of time feeling anxious about how others are reacting to you, then do that inner work to find a way to not take things as personally as I'm working on doing right now. And also when you can, when you do feel safe with the person, talk with them about it and say, hey, this kind of felt like this. Am I reading that right? If so, how can we work through it? Another thing I've been thinking about a lot is jealousy because when you're pursuing any sort of career that is difficult to get into, that is creative, that is forward-facing, that has a different trajectory for each person. It's not like you get the internship, then you get the associate role, then you move on. You know, it's more fluid, such as what I'm doing in the entertainment industry. It's really easy to compare yourself. And in that comparison, sometimes you can feel jealousy or envy or lack of worthiness within yourself. And there's some people that you're going to run across that for whatever reason, when they share what they're doing, it feels like a personal attack to you. First of all, it's not. Second of all, we have to realize that people are just mirrors for us, right? So anytime somebody triggers something in you, 
they're either doing one of two things. There's either something in them that you also have in you that you don't like, or two, something in them that you don't have in you or that you haven't claimed within yourself that you want. So I want you to get real intentional about this. There's this one person I follow on Instagram and there's someone I actually adore. I think that they're incredible. I love their work. But the way they were sharing was making me feel very, it's giving me the ick in this strange way. And I had to ask myself why. And it's because this person has this deep confidence and faith in herself and what she does in a way that I don't have yet. And so watching her have that triggered something in me. It made me feel bad about myself. And what it was for me, instead of being like, oh, how dare she? Because that was the first thing I wanted to do, getting real honest with you. Instead of doing that, once I had my initial reaction, I thought, oh, thanks for showing me. Thank you for showing me that I too could believe in myself that much and believe that that kind of confidence and faith in my own abilities is available to me. And that if I do own that kind of confidence and faith in my abilities, I could build a life like you have, which is incredible. She has this independent lifestyle. She's an entrepreneur doing all these amazing things. And we have a duty that when the jealousy comes up in us, we have to ask ourselves those two questions. I mean, listen, it could just be you don't like the person, but it's very, very rarely that. It's usually there's something that's getting triggered in you. And even if you don't like the person, there's a reason you don't like them, right? So when that jealousy comes up, ask yourself, okay, what am I seeing in this person that's making me feel jealous? Is it that they have something in them or like that's giving me the ick maybe? Do they have something in them that I also have in me that I don't like or that I'm repressing? Or do they have something in them that I lack that I really want? Or are they sharing something that I feel I don't have that I'd really like to have? And if that's the case, how can I go toward that thing? Or how can I start acknowledging that piece of me that I'm not integrated with? And I think too, the more you wish somebody well, first of all, the better it feels. It feels really good to be genuinely happy for people. But when you wish people well and you cheer them on, you're almost calling that kind of energy into your own life. And it's also an acknowledgement that there is more than enough to go around. We live in an abundant universe. We live in a universe full of so many possibilities. We have more than enough to go around. And being happy for someone who's doing something you want to do is an acknowledgement that you can do it. If you're in that person's orbit, my friend Lori Bregman, she's a doula, if you don't know what that is. Basically, like they coach and mentor you through the pregnancy, birthing, and postpartum process. And she works with a lot of clients that struggle with infertility. And those clients who struggle with infertility will often get invited to baby showers, and that's very difficult for them. And a lot of times, I think for those people, it feels like everyone around them is getting pregnant, but they can't. And what Lori says to them when that happens is, you're in the orbit of all these people who are doing what you want to do. How could you think that's not for you when it's all around you? So when you're really close to a lot of people who are doing something that you want to do, I believe it's because God, the universe, life is calling you to take that seriously and to know your next, to get to see what they're doing, how they're reacting, learn from what they're doing, and then say, okay, how could I serve? How could I be there? How could I do that? How could I have that life? It's coming up for you because it's for you, not because you're getting tortured. Like I don't believe in, in that kind of cruelty. I believe things are put in front of you 
because you're meant to ask for them for yourself as well. This next one is like when somebody actually is being mean to you or has said something rude to you. My little thing, and I'm not going to go deep into this, but the quicker you can take somebody's shit that they put on you and give it back to them, the better. Even if that's just an energetic thing, if somebody said something mean to you, let's say like your cousin was rude to you, you know, the quicker you can give it back to them, even asking like, hey, why would you say that? (laughs) Or I feel really uncomfortable. Why did you say that? The better. Or even like if that just means energetically wiping it away, picturing it wiping away from you and then putting a bubble around yourself and walking away from that person. I learned about this thing in college called the sponge duck theory. And it said, some of us are sponges. We absorb every little thing about the world around us and all the bad feelings and whatever. And some of us are ducks. You know how ducks have oily feathers and it just rolls right off of them. The water rolls right off of them. And so I wanted to spend more time being ducks and less time being sponges. So when someone's negative energy comes in, spend more time letting that negative energy roll right off of your gorgeous little feathers and going back to them. And then don't be the sponge. It's not yours to absorb. When someone puts their shit on you, it's still their shit. Let it roll off your little feather and go right back to them. This is my final thing on relationship to others that I want to hit on. Doing something hard is much easier when you have a support system around you, even if they're just physically there. And also, don't be afraid to consult the committee, aka the people in your life that you trust the most, while still coming back to yourself for the final answer. So when I'm going through something hard or I need to make a big life decision, I typically ask if it's something that I know my parents won't get me more stressed out about, my parents, (laughs) Timmy, and a couple of my best friends. Oh, and my therapist. Shout out to Jessica. But I ultimately always come back to myself and ask, does that feel right? Does that feel true? So don't be afraid to consult the committee, but then come back to yourself. The other thing I want to say about that is I find it's a lot easier for me to do something difficult if Timmy is here with me or if I have my parents on FaceTime. It's not like I need them, but it just feels less like I'm going to die if I know I have somebody here who already loves me. It's just like the pains of the world. Let's say I'm dealing with something at work that I don't really know how to do. And it's like a problem I've never faced before. Just like physically having someone here or on FaceTime that is like my human security blanket. It just takes the edge off. Even if it doesn't go well, it's like, okay, well, that's not really real life. I've got the people here around me that matter and they love me and know me and they know who I really am. I was trying to deal with something difficult for like a week and I couldn't because Tim had family in town, like I couldn't be with him. And so when he finally was able to be with me for a couple of days, I was finally able to do that thing because I felt safe enough to do it. So don't be afraid to have whoever your human security blankets are either on speed dial or next to you. Next time you have to do something hard, having that security blanket, having that ang- it's like a human weighted blanket around you helps you do the hardest things in life. Okay, final thing we're talking about today is your relationship to your creativity and your relationship to your dreams. I think the number one thing I want to talk with you about is don't be afraid to want the things you think you shouldn't want. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The things that you think are too audacious to want or that maybe other people would judge you for wanting them or that you could never reach because things like that don't happen to you. So I'm not talking about like drugs or something actually bad for you, but I'm saying if you want something like making a lot of money or taking a dream vacation or putting yourself in the center of your own life and stepping out creatively or buying a house, whatever it is that you've told yourself you shouldn't have access to or it's not something that you can have, I want to encourage you to let yourself start wanting it. The reason I'm saying this is because today, apparently, I got some email from a astrologer saying that it's a very lucky day. Apparently something is happening with Jupiter, which is the planet of luck. So look where your Jupiter placement is. But apparently it's a lucky day. And Jupiter, my Jupiter, let me just read this to you because it's easier to say it. Like the planet Jupiter through an astrological lens signifies and colors your beliefs, narrates your future vision and the belief or not belief that your future is possible. Jupiter is a projection of what you visualize for your future. It's where you believe things are possible. Jupiter describes the way you experience luck based on the belief that your life flows in one particular way because of your experience that have reaffirmed such. So my Jupiter is in Taurus. And so she says, those born with natal Jupiter and Taurus are luckiest when they save and actually focus on material wealth. So that's interesting because just this morning I was telling Timmy, there's a bunch of different meditations that we'll do in the morning. Sometimes I do them either individually or if he's here, he'll do them with me. And one of them's on self-love. One of them is about balancing the chakras. One of them is about gratitude. I do a lot of guided meditations. There's different like chakra healing ones. There's ones that are just like a body scan. But there's this one we do that's about abundance and drawing abundance into your life. And I told him, it's weird. I would think that I would feel best when I do the meditation about self-love or balancing my chakras. I always have the best days when we do the one about abundance because I think abundance and desiring abundance is my biggest blind spot. Then I open this email and it says those born with natal Jupiter and Taurus are luckiest when they save and actually focus on material wealth. But I haven't felt like, especially going to, you know, theater school. And then when I first moved here, I really didn't have much money. And then I started looking at money as maybe being a bad thing and maybe antithetical to art. I think I've got a lot of stories around money and what money means. But what I'm realizing is that for me, it's attached to self-worth and thinking that I deserve to have a nice life. 
And so that's something I want to start letting myself want is having more financial security. And so whatever that is for you, I mean, there's a million other things. I think I also want to start letting myself want a bigger music career for myself. Now I might let the vision of that change. Maybe a bigger music career means like I'm getting my music into film and TV and I'm writing for other people. It could mean a lot of different things, but I want to start letting myself want some of the things that I thought have been out of reach. So I want to ask you, you know, you kind of want, you have a flicker in your heart, but what have you been afraid to let yourself want? That maybe you have a bad connotation on that thing. Maybe you think that you're not worthy of that thing. What could you let yourself want or even start to think about wanting? Try one thing today and see how going toward that feels. Also look up your Jupiter placement because I think that's pretty interesting. It has to do with luck and depending on where it's placed, like where you find the most luck in your life and flow. Speaking of not letting yourself want what you want, I went to dinner with my friend Emily the other day and she's super inspiring. I'm going to have her on the podcast soon. She will talk about this at length. I've also encouraged her to do TikToks. I think her TikTok and Instagram handle is It's Emily on Air. Check her out for sure. But she said this thing because she just recently like revamped her whole life. So she's in her 30s. She got a job in radio when she was pretty young. Like I think she got on air in her mid-20s and had a job in a pretty major market. She was in Washington, D.C. and she had her own show there. And she gave it up because she knew she didn't want to be in D.C. anymore. She knew she wanted to get into podcasting. So she quit that job. Now she's out in L.A. She's still doing some shows on air. She's producing podcasts. She's like doing some radio stuff as a producer and board op. And she's also singing. And so she had to do an ego death in order to get the things she currently wants. And she said the way she did that was she thought to herself, if I was on a desert island and nobody knew what I did, would I care? Like when you have a job that has some sort of clout to it, you can often think, oh, I should stay in this just because people will think it's good and I can get more love and recognition. But if you were on a desert island, would you still do that thing? I mean, obviously, if you are doing a job that people need because people need it and you're the only one on the desert island, like you're not going to be an accountant. (laughs) I don't know. It just really made me think, you know, if you were on a desert island, would you still be doing the thing you're doing? Would you still want to do the thing you're doing? It's pretty interesting. And then it also made me think back to like when I was little, like really tracing the lines of what I liked doing back then. I do think most of the things I do align with that. Like I, when I was a little girl, I loved singing. I loved talking to people. I would literally get books and make up stories. I loved telling stories. And there's this one really funny video we found, which I think was like the seeds of my producing career, where I had done the musical at the community theater and I (laughs) was teaching the neighborhood kids the lines and the songs from the musical. And I was telling one of the neighborhood kids that lived around the block from me what to do. And my dad goes, Lauren, don't tell her what to do. And I said, dad, I have to tell her what to do. That made me laugh so hard because I didn't remember that part of myself as a child. But looking back on it, I really did have that piece of me. Like even when I was five, I got all my friends together to do the talent show. So I've always been a performer slash producer. And it's good to see that that piece of me always was there. 
But yeah, I think the desert island trick, looking back to what you loved when you were little, even thinking about now, what would you do if nobody was watching? Like, what would you do if it was just about what brings you joy? And delving into that is important. As a final note, I want to talk about creative blocks and also when you're avoiding something. So when we're avoiding something, a lot of times we just beat ourselves up for the fact that we're avoiding it, right? For instance, there's a project that I have been meaning to get done for the past month. And I told somebody that I would turn it in a month ago. I still haven't done it. I feel so much shame around it. The shame is now keeping me from going toward it. I do want to know why I'm avoiding it. Is there a good reason for it? I don't know. But when you're avoiding something, I think it's important to try to figure out why you're avoiding it. Like, I think that maybe this project, like if I actually go toward it and do it, could be life-changing for me. And maybe there's some fear around that. But why is there fear? And I know Nell, the decision coach, told me not to ask why. But I think sometimes if you don't know why, then you can't go forward. So I personally think I need to figure out my why in this. And I just wanted to call to you so that I can finish it. I'm going to try to finish it this weekend. I'll keep you updated on if I actually do it. I'm going to try to keep Nell in my head and just tell myself I have to do it. But if you're avoiding something that you know could be fulfilling to you creatively, why are you avoiding it? A big, I guess, through line in this whole episode is finding the antidote to the things that do not work for you. So if you have something that you've been avoiding that you would like to no longer avoid it, try to find the antidote so that you can do it. And if you're blocked, like I was feeling earlier today, don't ignore tried and true methods. Go for a walk. You know, walks, I think, are one of the simplest ways to get unblocked. There's so much to get inspired by. You see so many beautiful things when you go on a walk. You hear so many sounds. Billy Joel once said, hear music everywhere you go. Harmonize with sirens. I used to have an air conditioner that was really loud in college, and I would harmonize with the air conditioner. I like hearing the birds sing and the sounds of cars going by. I mean, there's so much to get inspired by when you're out in the world. Plus, your mind starts to flow. I mean, that's how I got all these topics for this conversation. I just walked, and then the ideas started coming to me. But when I was in the same place and stagnant, I felt dead inside. I had to get out and move and start seeing different things. And that's when these ideas of what I wanted to talk with you about started flowing through me. So if you're blocked, I highly recommend a walk. I highly recommend getting in the sun. Remember what works for you. And if you've been doing the same thing, just make one different choice. And when in doubt, make space. I think that's the biggest thing. It's pretty easy to get down on yourself, but usually we just need a little bit of space to be creative and be ourselves. So I hope that this helped you with your relationship with yourself to others and to your creativity and to your dreams. I think the biggest through line is finding the antidote to the things that ail you instead of constantly spinning on what isn't working. Try to find solutions, being solution oriented and also giving yourself grace while being solution oriented, right? It's not an either or, it's a not only but also as Colin Bedell, Queer Cosmos would say. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. Those help so much. It's really what helps people find the show. Share the show with a friend. Podcasts are spread person to person. It really, really helps when you share it with a friend. I think I listen to my friend's opinions more than any influencer or any review. So definitely share it with a friend if it's been helpful to you. Tag me at Lauren LaGrasso at Unleash Your Inner Creative. 
post a picture of yourself listening to it and I will repost to share my gratitude. I want to thank Rachel Fulton for helping edit this week's podcast. Thank you, Liz Full, for composing the show's music. And my wish for you this week is that you drop the charges on yourself and start trying one thing to bring yourself closer to self-love. I love you and I believe in you. And I'll talk with you next week.